and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here are your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories, and I am your host, Fred. Uh, today we are continuing on with our work, focusing on Roger Gregg. Now on his words, not so much as his work. I had the extreme pleasure of visiting him in Ireland, and while there will be a longer write-up of this, plus pictures um, on the Radio Drama Revival blog, for now I'd like to share with you a superb interview I had with him in his illustrious Crazy Dog Studios in Dublin, Ireland. Hardly think Roger needs an introduction, so here goes. Hope you enjoy Roger Gregg. So I have the huge pleasure of welcoming Roger Gregg back to the show. Um, a special treat that as I am here in uh, Crazy Dog Home Studios in Dublin, Ireland, uh, to get to talk to him. Uh, it's been about a year since we've had Roger on the show, maybe some more. Uh, and it's a huge pleasure to have him back. Roger, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. <laughs> it's uh, been a been an interesting day. We're here at uh, Radio, uh, excuse me, Crazy Dogs Secret Lab Laboratory, where they this have is my secret lab. <laughs> they have more. I won't show it to everyone, but I'll show it to you. Yeah. Fred. <laughs> Do you like it? It is marvelous. There's a, a ma- dazzling array of sound effects devices, some of which Amy's sitting in the corner with many of my toys. <laughs> This a the the sound effects collection. Uh, there are some uh, video videos of you playing uh, with them on YouTube, uh, as well as some new additions to the collection. Uh, music instruments all over the place. Um, a little sound recording booth, and of course a uh, pro tool setup. So uh, this is uh, where you do most of your work. And another interesting thing is, uh, and I think you're you've got to be pretty rare in being an independent audio producer, Roger. So do you want to fill us in a little bit about how that may be different than, say, other people in Ireland who are producing radio drama but aren't independent? Well, the long and short of it is is that uh, RTE have a few full-time professional audio radio drama producers, and that's what they do. They work for RTE. Theoretically, they can be transferred to other departments and do different things, and some of them have experience in, in theater, as well as radio drama, which is why they're in radio drama. Mm-hmm. But I'm different in that I'm self-employed and freelance. Mm-hmm. Lately, though, RTE uh, in the last few years have, have have been doing productions occasionally where they bring in an outside director, a theater director, who comes in and directs a radio play with the assistance of one of their uh, sound engineers. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it sounds like... Um, you, you were just mentioning there's sort of an era where uh, Crazy Dog Audio Theater was doing a lot of work for the RTE, and that uh, now is, has changed. Um, you're, you're now into doing other projects, though uh, equally really fascinating, particularly this uh, Jerry Murphy uh, poetry one. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about that transition from having to think about how you're going to approach your audio work? Well, there's a long... We're going back 12 years, so there's a long evolution. I mean, the, the I come at the whole audio theater thing from doing theater on the stage. So when the Crazy Dog thing started, the first thing I did was a, a studio thing, a one-person thing, and then the second thing I did was a studio thing. And about the same time, we did a live show with a live audience, which was a broadcast live on Halloween for RTE, uh, and which was a big success, which led to commissioning more live shows. So for the first several years of Crazy Dog doing regular work for RTE, it was divided up between doing live shows with live audiences and also studio productions. We would be doing like two series a year. One would be the live series, the other one would be the studio um, production. 
series. And uh, then there was a regime change in RTE and the new person coming on board didn't want to spend money on live shows because they're more expensive to do, more work involved and, and so on. So then came about five years of just doing studio productions with RTE. And also during that time, uh, new economic realities and budget concerns were pressing in on the organization and things were shifting, uh, sad to say, but making the piece of pie for radio as a whole smaller. And also within that smaller piece of pie, the pie, what was left for radio drama itself was getting smaller. And this coupled with the fact that it had been several years since Crazy Dog was on stage in front of a live audience, it kind of uh, uh, made it apparent to me that Crazy Dog had to get back on the, on the boards again. It had to get back performing again. So two years ago, we did a stage production, which we got an Arts Council grant for, called The Stuff of Myth, which then I later reproduced and rewrote as a radio production. And it was the, one of the last things that we did for RTE as a studio radio production. And then since then, having been effectively cut loose from RTE, which downsized even further, uh, we we continued, we got another grant from the Arts Council of Ireland and also a grant from the Broadcasting Commission of Ireland and entered into partnership with a production company called Tin Pot Productions. And we, we, together we got grants from these two bodies to stage a live show which was going to be recorded and filmed and also turned into a radio series. So there was, uh, how do you explain it? One, killing many birds with one stone. The, the grant was to do the live show, record the live show to multi-track, to make the live show into a CD that would be released, and also to make the live show into a radio series which would be broadcast for campus radio in UCC in Cork, and also film it so that we could get snippets of it up on YouTube to help bring to the attention of the newer, younger, wider audiences, uh, bring to their attention this uh, very exciting voice, this Cork voice. His, his name is Jerry Murphy. He's a poet. He's been on the go for uh, 25, 30 years. He, in fact, is an old friend of mine. And uh, the other side of the story is, is that 20 years ago, 21 years ago now, I did a stage adaptation of what was then his first book of poetry in Cork. And uh, what put my what put the idea in my head to do it again was the man himself who went to lunch one day and he said, oh, it's been 20 years since you did the show about with my stuff. Why don't you do another show? Because I've written all these other books instead. And I said, you know, that's a great idea. You know, 20 years, that's very cool. So let's 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 try to make it happen. So it happened and it was called the Poet Laureate of the People's Republic of Cork, which if you happen to be Irish, then you know that Cork is the true capital of Ireland, as any Corkman will tell you. And they have a whole thing in Cork where they call it the People's Republic of Cork because that's where it's really happening. Real and you can buy Re Republic of Cork, People's Republic of Cork t-shirts and everything. And it just seemed apt that the People's Republic of Cork should have a poet laureate and, good. and it should be Jerry Murphy above all others. And so uh, that's, that's how that happened. Mm -hmm. And so it was done last October as part of the uh, Cork Jazz Festival in the Everyman Palace in Cork and it was recorded to multi-track and then I've done the post-production here in in the Nerve Center and so it is going to come out on CD and it will be repackaged as a five-part radio series and even now as we speak there are clips of it up on YouTube which you can see by going to YouTube and typing in 
Jerry Murphy Poetry. Spell it with a G. Jerry with a G. Murphy Poetry. And uh, you'll find uh, eight or nine poems up at the moment. Awesome. And And we're going to revive the show. The other good news is the show is coming back to Cork this summer to run for a week as part of the Cork Midsummer Festival. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping then that also other festival organizers who are supposed to attend will buy the show, basically, and hopefully buy the show and we can tour it then to some other festivals and stuff. So that's that's kind of the new direction for Crazy Dog. It's not turning your back on audio, but it's like uh, trying to do productions that that kill many birds with the mm-hmm. one stone so that we can do a live show and at the same time record it or at the same time have an eye, a, a view to turning it into a radio production as well, you know? Yeah. And moving between the two worlds because it's, it's economic to do it that way. Yeah, well, it's an interesting... Uh, two forces at work one it seems to be many forces con- converging to reduce audio whether it deserves to be reduced audio drama um, it's it's funding and support um, whether that's merited or not um, it certainly is happening uh, but at the same time as an independent you know I guess you're forced to out of necessity to to look at other ways of, of approaching your work and I think uh, I guess convergence would be the word using um, touching on other media or, uh, li- like you said, u- using other forms. Um, you know, like the. I'll be particularly interested to see how the the DVD comes together because that, um, is that is that a little bit unique uh, to be working with someone who's also filming a production that you're doing. Well, we had we had two professional camera guys come and, and film two two performances with two cameras. So at the end of the day, we get four shots of any one thing, even though the two performances from night to night are, you know, they're not exactly the same. So, but it still does present uh, possibilities for editing and stuff. And I, and I leave it up to him to edit them together. So we're just doing, we're doing nine of the poems are up on YouTube, mm-hmm. edited together. And we're going to bring out a, like a seven minute kind of trailer mini documentary on the show, which we, part of the purpose of doing that is to show it to potential, you know, people who might be interested in buying in the show, and they can say, well, you know, answer the question, what's the show about? What's it like? And we can hand them a nine or seven minute DVD mm-hmm. and they can watch it and see clips and go, oh yeah, this is exactly what we need in our festival. And so, clearly there's a there's a the challenges facing audio, but I imagine, you know, with our current economic times, the, the credit crunch and all this, uh, things can't be great for the arts in general either. I mean, no, how- gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, gosh, um, no. So it's it's, it, I guess even, compared even to the United States, Ireland, I guess you could say, spends a lot mm-hmm. fostering its arts and its culture mm-hmm. compared to America, which is like I'm told the worst place in the world. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for funding that. arts and things like that. So, so, but having said that, it, with the whole uh, collapse of the economy and everything, like. Um, Grants that we're going to be that are normally offered twice a year are only being offered once a year. They're, in other words, cut in half. And then on top of that, they didn't even offer all the grants that they usually did. So the the, the cuts are more like seventy, eighty percent cuts. I mean, as drastic as that. So mm, well, and we were going to apply for something, and and what we were going to apply for doesn't exist anymore. Or at the moment, it's turned off because of the funding situation. And then. I'm hoping to apply for another thing in April, and I've been told that I need to consult them first because that too could be cut pending future government cuts, you know, yeah. so. Tough. 
And so that's uh, uh, a lot of where the money comes to, to put these things together is by uh, choosing grants as opposed to uh, you know making say money off CD sales or something like that. <sighs> not 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 selling millions of copies. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot so. of theater productions happen in this part of the world because of of arts council funding. Mm-hmm. Arts council funding yeah. gets stuff up and running, and then you have a whole different kind of theater show which are like the big smash hit commercial productions and they're they're done for commercial reasons right with commercial money and and so on but like it's recognized that new writing or new up and coming to to keep the arts alive and bring new blood in and to get new things up and board up and running that's where you have to that's where the arts council money comes in mm-hmm. you know like the abbey well there's a lot of productions which you know are gonna they're tried and true plays and they're they're gonna get a house and they're not but at the same time they're not doing anything new and they're not you know the writer who's in their 20s that wants to make a break and yeah. they're they're not they're a commercial unknown so nobody's mm-hmm. gonna back them yeah. you with me so yeah the, so so, so you have a so they are actually taking a, a risk so to speak in, in picking out people who show promise but aren't necessarily you know already known. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a. It's, it's not easy to get an arts council grant. You know, it's not luck, <laughs> as um, some of my uh, people accuse me of being. Uh, I'm not lucky. No, yeah. no, no, no. It's a big, it's a big grant application process, and you yeah. got to submit a lot of materials, and you got to know what you're doing, and be seen to know what you're doing, and yeah, and uh, and, and numbers on paper and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and one of the other gigs it seems you have going is uh, working with the Gady School of Acting. Is that a similar pot of money, or is there your relationship with them a little bit different than, um, say, your the grant process? Oh, that's totally di- that. Yeah. That's a teaching job. Mm-hmm. So I I teach one week out of the year a radio drama audio acting course. Usually it's held in March. This year it was held in January, and as part of the course, I write a play for all the class. So, uh, and then during the course of the week, we spend the last two days recording that play, and then and then I, then I'm cut loose. But then I disappear into here, mm-hmm. where I might spend two, three weeks post-producing it, and then I hand them all the finished product on CD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, uh, what it, you know, whatever you can do to further your art as well as continue to innovate and collaborate as well. Um, it sounds like with the with the Jerry Murphy one in particular. Well, I have my, you know, the, the Gaiety School is is wonderful because th- three of the six people in the Jerry Murphy show are all Gaiety School graduates. They're all my former students. And most of the, a good half, two-thirds of the people that I work with are former students of mine. They, they don't know it, but they're busy auditioning for me <laughs> for the whole week, and sure. I have my eye on them, and, then, yeah. and some of them I give jobs to, you mm. know. Yeah, so this is... Uh, I guess the one the one big question that comes up is that, you know just based on your story uh we see a lot of the forces that are that are challenging audio drama and you know people people I think in America really romanticize um Britain and and Ireland as in you know in the same sort of category of places where you can still have a radio drama career but do people think that who thinks that <laughs> what are these sad people that think that what the <laughs> You know, there's like 65 million people in the UK, mm. you know, mm. and there's probably 
out of the 65 million people in the UK, there's probably 400 people out of the 65 million who had some kind of involvement with a radio drama production in the previous year. And out of the 400, there's probably only like 27, 30 of them that full time, Mm -hmm. that's what they do somehow in some capacity. Do you know? It's like, it's not... uh, Yeah, it's... It's it's not like every third person you meet is in the radio (laughs) drama, you know. It's, it's It's a small backwater thing, which is, you know, for an actor, it's like... What do I got today? I got an audition. I'm going to do a radio play. The radio play gives me two days work. Mm-hmm. And great, that's two days. And what am I going to do the other two, 363 days? Yeah. Is look for other work. Yeah. Any kind of work. Stage work. Yeah. And and do you see, do you think that radio drama is going to be in the same place, say, five, five ten years from now? Do you think that uh, it's going to continue to see a shriveling of its budgets till it's it's even less in an even sorrier state um, professionally than it is now. I don't know. The re- the reason why it survives in Ireland and UK and on the continent is that you have you have state broadcasters. Mark was Mark Raw was explaining it today this thing called a remit. It's like a constitution that's drawn up in your body, and we're going to pay you, and you're going to answer to the government but you're going to be autonomous. And this is what we want you to do. We want you to report report our news. You know, we want to, we want you to tell our stories about us that reflect us. You know, we Mm. want you to keep our arts alive, keep our music alive, Uh, give an outlet to all our artists doing things and to our, our thinkers and so on provide us a public service and part of that remit is in there is radio drama which is giving writers a chance to write the actors a chance to act and writers to to comment on society Mm -hmm. reflect concerns of society or even just entertain and make people laugh you know that's service and that's why it's there Mm -hmm. and there are as Mark McGraw the RTE sound engineer indicated that's the that's the ideological reason why it's there but meanwhile commercial wise you have all these pressures and and supposedly all these people in this semi-state body has to be have to be paid and they get money from advertising they get money from the license fee which they collect from people but they they operate in the marketplace like other things too and the wise and the smart accountants are saying why are we doing if we could cut back this, if we could cut back that, you know? If we just had one guy, why don't we have one guy sit in the studio, play some records, and then another guy can visit them and they can talk for a little bit about something, the news or whatever, and then they go away. And that's much cheaper to do than to, we got to pay this writer who wants to get paid, we got to pay the, you know, we got to tie up our studios for two, three days while we do this, then it has to be post-produced, then we're going to go, and then no one listens to it anyway. Mm-hmm. We got to put it on where in some corner of the thing. It's like there's not. So to answer your question in a very convoluted way, if if the ideological people can hold out and keep presenting good arguments, then then radio drama is protected. Mm-hmm. But come the day when the commercial side of things gets so overbearing, the piece of the pie, which is already happening, the piece of the pie dedicated to radio drama and more cost laden types of radio and stuff and even on television is gonna is gonna shrink 
but what what do you think about the the poor listener out there? Uh, do you think that the uh, the commercial people are right that no one is listening, or do you think that the people who are listening and may enjoy radio drama are being underserved uh, by uh, you know? But well, most by the radio drama uh, and administrators are idiots, hmm. complete idiots. Okay, because they're saying. Uh, oh, you know, we've got this biplane and a propeller, and we've always flown the biplane and the propeller, and uh, and that's the way it should go. And we can fly from you know Dublin to Galway in just forty-two hours. Right, and and it deserves, and it's fulfilling a public service, and it needs to be that way. It always must be an old rickety biplane and a propeller. That's the that's what it is. And meanwhile, there's like jets, and there's telephones, and all other kind of ways yeah. to communicate this information. Yeah. So the re- reason why I'm saying that they're idiots is that they're saying, oh, radio play, it has to go out as a half an hour, or it has to be like a play, a play, theater on the radio, 90 minutes, which nobody flippin' listens to. Mm-hmm. Even they don't listen. The actors that are in it don't even listen to it because it's 90 minutes long. Yeah. But if that's the way a stage play is, let's put it out on the radio. No one listens. Surprise. No one listens. Why would we bother doing that anymore? That doesn't work, you know? Yeah. If they thought out of the box and said, look, there's a thing called a pop song. It's over with in three and a half minutes. Why can't radio drama yeah. be done in three and a half minutes? And we'll put it out every day at 5.15, three and a half minutes, zappy, entertaining, and we can connect them all together and put them out on a Sunday afternoon as an omnibus, all connected together in 40 minutes or whatever. You, you with me? Right. But they don't think that way because yeah. that's, well, how would we slot that in? Yeah. How could that work? How yeah. would that work? How That couldn't work. Yeah. They don't do it then. That's when something's going on. That couldn't possibly work. We have to find time in our schedule for that. That wouldn't, you know, they they made the schedule. It's not like in granite. Yeah. <laughs> but they never, never. And I, I know I've submitted these ideas to them. It's like bouncing off a flipping wall. No, that's too much change. We couldn't possibly do that. Couldn't handle it. Yeah. You know, whereas I'm thinking if you did it, if you repackaged it and thought in terms of what the medium can do, it doesn't have to be at 90 minutes. It doesn't have to be 45 minutes. It doesn't have to be half an hour. You know, why not uh, two and a half minutes, three minutes? Try these different things. Yeah. Put them out and see what happens. To reach younger audiences, because if they're not reached, they, they're well and truly on its death throes. Because it's just you know, I just I just think that the people that that are in the key positions do not have imaginations, which is why they're in those key positions. Because mm. anybody with imaginations trying, run, trying runs out it. of the place, <laughs> pulling their hair, you know. Yeah, and, and it, I, I know, and I know that not just in Ireland, but in the UK as well. Yeah. When they're dealing with a big behemoth like the BBC, there's so many people that just are stuck in the age of biplanes and uh, wooden frames and propellers and stuff that they just... Yeah, and I and I wonder, it feels to me that there are, there has to be some sort of judgment day in, in a sense because... Uh, the iPod, you know, portable recorders, the internet is changing all that. No one is forced to listen to the radio unless they choose to. And if they are not doing a good job at creating programming that people actually want to listen to, the whole the whole state of everything is is yeah. uh, is in flux. And that's it's just too bad that you know radio drama has to be kind of a uh, a casualty, a unintended consequence of a of a sort of a almost a, a broken way of looking at 
how, how to produce Well, it will never work as long as they hold on to the biplane with the propeller thing. Yeah, yeah never going to yeah, hit. It's never going to... It's uh, it's a death sentence that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. um, it's got to change, and it, it's um, yeah. They don't. I mean, people are listening now to the radio because of news and comment on topical affairs, and that that's because you get it there and you don't get it anywhere else. You know, or I live in I live in Mudville. What's going on in Mudville tonight? Who who are those people that are going to be making music tonight? Mm -hmm. And you'd find them on the radio because they're being interviewed and they're going to talk about it and play some of it. And then you think, well, I'll go along to that or I won't. Mm -hmm. Or this is what's going on with my local corrupt politicians. <laughs> yeah. And that's why people listen to the radio. That's why radio is still alive. Because yeah. Yeah. you're right. You can go to the Internet and, you know, I want to hear music only by guys with pink haircuts. Yeah. And you can find it on, you know, and I'll just listen to that for 20, you know, <laughs> you can find it on the Internet exactly what you want to listen to. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you don't need to wait around with blue haircuts or red haircuts. Yeah. Only the color you want. There, you can find it on the internet. You know. Yeah. So that's another nail in the coffin of this kind of ninety-minute play on Friday night mm. or Sunday night playhouse, celebrating the same old crap that mm. they've been so-called celebrating. You know, it's so bad that the people, the casts, are in it don't even listen to it. It's you know, and when that happens, it's. <coughs> you know, time to wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah. Um, so that, that even uh, e even more emphasizes how kind of unique your work is and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Like um, with the Jerry Murphy video, of course, putting them up on YouTube is probably a big step in, in, in a way because, of course, I doubt that's something where you'd find the, the RTE recording to play, putting it on YouTube. Well, no, RTE had no, I'm happy to say, had no involvement whatsoever with the whole Jerry Murphy thing. Yeah, so, they, so how... It sounds like a bunch of people were very eager to try something different, though, the people that you oh, were yeah. involved with Yeah, on well, that. the writing's on the wall. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's in the know knows mm -hmm. that there are these things called computers. Yeah. My son can tell you all about them. Yeah. And apparently they can present information to you and in bring it into your home. Mm -hmm. Uh, any kind of information you want. It's amazing. And it's there. Yeah, yeah including, it's there. including audio commentary and, uh, and, and, it's, and interviews. And it's changing... It's changing... Um, you know, I, this is one of the one of my bees in my bonnet. Is this whole? Uh, uh, well, I'm a writer, and I, I I like writing. I write. That's what I do at a computer. And I used years I spent at a typewriter because I'm that old. Mm -hmm. And but our whole culture is literate prejudice. Things that are written down are better than things that are said. Or if something's said and you really want to make it good, write it down. Then mm. it's really good because it'll last. Mm. And poetry became something that you experience a person alone in, in their toilet with the door closed, takes out their E. Cummings and Reeds or their Walt Whitman or Emily Dickinson or mm. whoever. And it's a one-on-one -on -one private thing. You read the words on the thing, right? Well, that, that's because in 1437 or whatever, G Gutenberg did the printing press thing. <laughs> Yeah. Right before that, it was all on scrolls written out <clears throat> for for thousands of years on scrolls written out, uh, you know. So there weren't that many copies, I and mean, people wanted to share it. Like in Roman times, if the poet Virgil was doing a reading of his poems or Lucan was doing a reading of his poems, that's exactly what it would be. There'd be like a town crier saying, "Lucan is reading his poems, the Civil War tonight at seven, whatever in the amphitheater." 
Mm. And he'd read it out loud. And if people thought it was good, they'd stick around and listen to it. And, you know, same thing with the histories and stuff. They were all read out loud, Tacitus read out loud, so that one copy could reach an audience of several hundred. So in a sense, it had to be performed. And even before the writing, with Homer, before writing in verse and poetry, everything was spoken word and it was performed. It was, you know, eventually there were all these mnemonic devices to, to learn to memorize it, and that's why we have refrains and things mm-hmm. like that, because these are memory joggers. And it was a performance art linked to it. It wasn't pigeonholed. Like, in other words, it wasn't like this is dance, this is poetry, this is theater. It was all blended together, you know, in the fire mm-hmm. at night. Poetry was part of theater. These things would go on all day long. Then along comes the printing thing. And it was like, oh, now poetry is something that's written down. And it's what's written down right. that counts. Because that's what lasts. The poet will die, but the words will live on because of the book. A book. Right? Or music. Music is, in some ways, an even better example. Yeah. You had music, all those native guys banging that we drums. make fun of, that follow Tarzan around banging drums. What did they do? <laughs> Beethoven. Beethoven matters. Why? Because it's written down. That's real music. It's written down. Why? Because the poet, the, the, the musician, the composer can die and the music lives on. It's written down. And that happened and that lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years and set a whole culture in motion, right? But in like 1900-something or other, you had the advent of radio and the advent of recorded sound. And you had the advent of recorded pictures. So Jimi Hendrix is dead. (laughs) But I can still hear Jimi Hendrix. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a big cultural shift. And we don't know what it means. Still haven't quite figured it out. No, we don't. Because it's only been, you know, people's lifetime. People are still alive before this technology existed. We're still alive. It won't be for another hundred years or so that we'll realize that these highly esteemed works of art, which were just the printed word, now we have other highly esteemed works of art that are preserving the performances of Charlie Parker or Jimi Hendrix, or a poet getting up and performing. Mm-hmm. It's going to shift what, what happens, because some of these things will be preserved. Anyway, this is the whole... Um, Sorry for the huge history lesson, yeah. but this is one reason why I wanted to get this, to me, a very important, very refreshing, exciting, funny, mad, surreal, erotic, shocking, graphic poet. Uh, get him, I mean, any... To get him up on YouTube being performed and stuff, to to bring him to this wider audience, which is, you know, because my son doesn't give a poop about categories or pigeonholes. He just, mm. you know, he's a teenager and he watches stuff off YouTube, and to him it's either good, I'll keep watching, it's crap, I'll turn it off. Right, and it has nothing to do with 
oh, it's poetry or yeah, oh, it's oh, yeah, music exactly. or oh, it's radio yeah, drama. It's, it's either going to impact or not. And, yeah. and this is the thing. So if we can get it out there to impact. And, and if it sells more books, mm -hmm. then that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hope it does sell more books for Jerry. You know, that's that's one of the main reasons why we do it is because, yeah. you know, we want to introduce them to this, to the wider world mm -hmm. in an in, in internet age. Yeah. And so that and the 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 jury's still out on that because it's still sort of a fresh effort. You're still going to be doing it again. The YouTube videos are out there, but they may uh, wither life goes and how that that um, how that actually impacts um, Jerry's work is still sort of just sort of happened. We don't we don't know yet. I guess we'd say. Well, people are watching yeah. at a slow rate on mm -hmm. on YouTube, but I, but I haven't done a, any kind of systematic um, publicity mm -hmm. thing, and I don't really know who to. See, you d you don't want to go to kind of the poetry journals because they're the same people that are doing the book thing. Mm -hmm. You you want to somehow get it to people like my son, teenager people mm -hmm. who are who are innocent and yeah. and malleable. Yeah. Well, it's it's fun. You know, another YouTube thing is uh, I was even able to, you know, <laughs> even as a young person, as a person who's a you know out out there doing this podcast on my own. Um, just started playing around with a little video um, iPod knockoff, and I was able to get all those videos, put them on the little on my little thing, watch them on a two-inch uh, screen on the airplane ride over, and I just thought that was a really cool way to experience that because that player, that way of encountering the work, just doesn't exist. You know, it, it's so completely new. Um, being able to, it's not it's not like it was released on DVD or it's not like there, you went through any sort of professional publisher. You went it on YouTube, and without any major organization being there, I was able to take it with me on a portable device that cost me like 50 bucks, which is kind of a cool, uh, yeah. a, a, a different way of encountering that work. And we want to break even. We yeah. don't necessarily want to make money, but we, yeah. we would like to cover our costs, put it yeah. that way. But uh, it's going to be a long, long, long time before we recover the costs. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, we got the grant and we've, sp I thought we, we've done, Dude, you know, I'm proud of what we did. did. Yeah. yeah. They uh, can shoot me if they want. I don't care. <laughs> uh, well, I got another final question here, Roger. How did you end up on a bed of nails with a brick being busted on your chest for your 50th birthday? I, I turned 50 last uh, September and I had a big birthday party. And as part of the birthday party, I wanted to get up and perform a bunch of my songs that I've you know, been writing for the last 25 years or so. So I put together a little band of my friends and we were, you know, rehearsing a, a bunch, I don't know, 12 or 14 of my songs. And um, the last song was uh, a satire on performance art and some of the strange antics that performance artists can do and how people are willing to sit and watch and experience these things without necessarily understanding anything what's going on. Uh, and my friend, the actor Dave Murray, was going to voice this poem and perform it. And Dave Murray does performance things, uh, dropping from great heights and juggling chainsaws and walking <laughs> on stilts and breathing fire and various other mad things that he's done over the years. So I said, you, you do something, Dave, as part of the performance art, but do some kind of performance art thing and we'll keep the music going while you do it. You know, I want to bring fire, I'll bring a fire. And I said, no, 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 it's indoors, indoors, no fire, no fire. It cannot involve fire, Dave. Oh, throw water. And I'm like, no, Dave, I'm playing saxophone. You can't throw water because I will break your head if you ruin my saxophone. No fire, no water, you know, 
but something really cool. I don't know what, but because it's a small space, it's going to be packed full of people. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll think of something. So the night of the party, we're there, we're practicing with the band, and then Dave shows up and he says, I'm going to lay on a bed of nails. I got a bed of nails. Mick Ella, this was a street artist, performer, friend of Dave's. I have the biggest, largest bed of nails in all the Republic of Ireland. We're bringing it in. We're bringing it upstairs tonight. We're going to lay it on the floor. And I'm say, well, you're going to do a bed of nails? Yep, yeah, yeah. And let's get a cement block, cinder block smashed with sledgehammer. Be brilliant. Fucking brilliant. Brilliant. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we're rehearsing more. And then up comes Michaela with this hu- two-piece huge thing that takes three guys to bring up bed of nails, these huge freaking spikes, really sharp. And they lay it down, and then Dave says, No, 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 Raj, Raj, I've been thinking, I've been thinking, I've been thinking. Please listen, please listen. What, what? Don't say no, don't say no. Listen to me, listen to me. And I'm like, what, what, Dave, what, Dave? You, you, you must do this. You must do this. <laughs> and what? I'm like, no fucking way. I'm playing saxophone on this thing. I'm not lying on the bed enough. No, 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 no. Listen to me, listen to me. I'm listening to me. Are you listening to me? Yes, I'm listening to you. You must, you must do this you must do this it's your 50th birthday you must do this believe me you'll do this you'll feel so great you'll feel so great you'll feel great i did it i said have you done it yes 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 i've done it and you feel great you feel alive you feel fucking alive roger do it do it god i love you do it do it tonight and i'm like okay okay i'm gonna play saxophone and play saxophone and then we'll get to the instrumental break of the song then i'm gonna lie down in the bed yep 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 and i won't get hurt just do what Mick says. Do what Mick says. You won't get. Hurt. You shouldn't get hurt. And I'm like, well, what? What? <laughs> and then Mick says, "Oh, we got to rehearse getting onto the bed because the most dangerous thing is getting on and off." So we rehearsed that just beforehand. And then came the night. We did all the different songs, song, 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 songs. And then we get to the last song, and Dave does the voice of it. And then we get to the instrumental break, and then out comes the bed of nails. And I got down on the bed of nails and did it. Mm. And then they lay the brick on top of me, and then they smashed the sledgehammer on my chest. And Dave was absolutely right. You really, really feel wonderfully alive after you get up off the thing. It's quite, uh, it's extremely uncomfortable, painful to lay on. I bet. And scary. So when it's over with, you get this tremendous adrenaline rush. It's like, I don't know, some kind of drug. And it's a true story, yeah. It's on YouTube. It is on YouTube. There will be if links to that. you typed in that. Roger Gregg's 50th birthday party or something like that. Roger Gregg bed of nails. <laughs> and you'll see it and it's... True, true to life happening. Right. So, getting a brick smashed on your chest or yeah. um, your yeah. years of a radio career, which has been the more challenging uh, or or frightening experience? The radio. <laughs> uh, well, Roger, thanks it's so much. More, more aggravating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Roger, thanks so much for your time. Uh, we'll be in addition to being able to search YouTube for the links to both the Jerry Murphy Jerry Murphy poetry and Roger Gregg's G fiftieth uh, birthday. Irish way of spelling it, not with a J. Oh, that'd be silly. Um, I will have those links um, on the. Uh, you will have those links on the blog entry associated with this podcast, and of course, stay tuned. Radio Drama Revival. We're going to have the Festival of Bacchus, um, the stuff of myth as myth as well as Marcius, the hippest satyr, which um, I understand also has some of your music, as your music pervades a lot of um, yeah, lot of your uh, it's my music work. in both of those things. Yeah. and you're uh, and quite versatile as well. Um, Roger, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And that was the incredible Roger Gregg, who's offered to allow me to post all of his work on Radio Drama Revival. That's tons of stuff produced with the RTE. We'll be presently podcasting that in bonus episodes, so be sure to keep an eye on the Radio Drama Revival pod feed for that. You can also click on the Crazy Dog 
Audio Theater Link um, is now in the All Hall of Fame for Radio Drama Revival in the left column of the site, so do check out radiodramarevival.com for that. We're closing today with a piece off of the Jerry Murphy Poetry Collection, the one that we talked about so much during the interview. Enjoy The Poet in Paradise, uh, sort of how I'm starting to feel now in one way or another. See you next week. Audio Theatre Company, in partnership with Tin Pot Productions, presents Poet Laureate of the People's Republic of Cork. Selections from the poetry of Jerry Murphy, adapted for live radio performance by Roger Gregg. The Poet in Paradise. Within a very short time of my untimely death, I began to feel bitterly cold and immediately cursed myself for neglecting to wear my heavy winter overcoat and indeed my thermal underwear as I faced the firing squad. But since the local press were determined to turning the occasion into a minor propaganda exercise on behalf of the government, I had decided to wear a light gray suit and a simple red tie to lend a little dignity to the sorry event. short time of my untimely death, I began to feel incredibly hungry and could have done with a cheese and tomato sandwich from the kitchen and perhaps even a bottle of chilled lager to wash it down. But the coroner was deep in conversation with the commander of the local garrison and failed to notice my urgent need. Anyway, eating so soon after such a major upset would probably have made me puke. very short time of my untimely death, I began to itch furiously, not just in the usual spots, but all over my body, and with the distinct feeling that my skin was starting to crawl. Of course, what I needed was a shower, and perhaps a little application of brute in the armpits and around the balls. But the undertaker was too busy with the guest list to attend to my trifling request. Within a very short time of my untimely death, I was in dire need of a leak. But the toilet was located at the opposite end of the mortuary 
and besides the mourners were milling about, blocking the entrance, and furthermore, the undertaker's daughter had taken the precaution of tying a neat little bow tightly around my pizzle. Within a very short time of my untimely death, I began to feel outrageously randy and found myself considering a quick feel of the skirt of the wife of the president. But the gravedigger completely ignored my morbid erection and began hammering down the lid 